Hey, so I'm super excited. We are, uh, as Lindsay expertly laid out, in our vision series. So our vision series, um, we display it in a wonderful three circle, and we'll throw that up on the screen. Um, we want that to be a reflection of our, our desire to walk in discipleship to Jesus. So we want to follow Jesus into loving God and loving others. Um, and so when we look at that, we look at um, as Jesus came to earth, he brought intimacy with his father. He had life with God. He brought life with God into our mess. And he didn't just stay in intimacy with his father up on the mountain praying. He came down and he brought together this very strange mix of people to walk in fellowship with each other centered on him. So there's this life with each other centered on Jesus. And then that community didn't just stay where it was at. Um, he took that community who moved out into the darkness. He moved out into the light um, to be lights in the world, to bring that, um, what, what Jesus brought, to bring it into the world and, uh, and to love the hurting and the lost. So we, we display that in, in, in the way that these are connected. These aren't separate things that we check, checklists that we, that we check off. These are interconnected. Um, we want this to um, be our life together, that we pursue intimacy with the Father, um, life very close community with each other and lights in the world. And we are gonna be talking uh, about life with each other. And so I'm super excited. We did it last week, we're doing it again. And I just wanna say a quick, I've been here for 10 years at Hope. Um, coming into this community 10 years ago has been one of the biggest blessings of my life. One of the biggest, if not the biggest, I would say transformative things that has ever happened to me. And I'm not being hyperbolic um, to step into a community where I am known I'm seen for all of my flaws and all of my darkness, and I'm loved, reflected to me who my Father is, who Jesus is, um, and has transformed me. So that's why I'm super excited to talk about it tonight. Uh, and we're gonna pray, if that's okay. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you that we get to talk about um, your people. Um, this is your church. We are your body. We are your family. Um, this is not um, <clears throat> something that we have brought together, but Jesus, you have brought that, brought this community to us. You have invited us, one big family. So we just ask Holy Spirit that you would speak. So when you speak, when you meet with us, things start to change. And so I just ask that you would speak tonight, that you would remind us of who we are as a community. You would remind us of your deep, deep longing for us to walk in unity with one another, to learn to love each other, as Jesus has loved us. And I just ask that you would speak that to us tonight. You would show us and reveal to us how worthy you are, Jesus. How worthy you are of our worship, but how worthy you are of our love and how worthy you are of us loving one another. So we just praise you and we thank you and ask you to speak tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in Ephesians. I love that that Steve brought up uh, Ephesians. And, uh, and so we're gonna be in Ephesians tonight. Um, and so we, um, we're gonna be in, uh, well, Lindsay already read it, so we're gonna read it one more time. Um, so I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, in the bond of peace. So last week, I talked about um, God's family and his family coming together um, is one big family. That what God did uh, when he brought one big family was global and eternal, but also here and now. 
So last week, the main thing that we talked about was global and eternal. And here and now, it's global and eternal because we look to Revelation 5, the end of all things, and we get this beautiful scene where there is God standing at the center in the midst of the throne as a lamb who is slain. We see the lamb in the throne slain before the, in, the, in the middle of the throne, and we see the, uh, the people around it. It says every tribe, tongue, nation surrounding, worshiping Jesus, worshiping the throne. So there's this one family that every wall has been broken down, every dividing wall, every nation, every language, every tribe, every tongue, worshiping centered on the lamb and on the throne. Um, and so we talked about that um, is uh, recognizing that it's bigger than us, not only bigger than us, this life with each other, but it goes on forever and ever, and it is our future. Um, and so tonight, what we're going to be talking about is the here and now, because we talked about when Jesus stepped in, he brought these people together that shouldn't have mixed, and he created this new community that we talked about. And so tonight, we're going to talk about God's deep desire for his family, for his community to here and now learn what it looks like to walk in unity with each other, the unity that comes from God and his presence with us. So one thing, that what we're gonna look at is where does this unity come from? How does it actually happen? What can divide us? Because there's these warnings, very clear in scripture, to pursue unity, what we're gonna look at. And then how do we fight? How do we fight? How do we pursue that unity? So I just wanna notice that the, the, this Ephesians verse, Ephesians chapter four, it starts out where Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I just wanna recognize that Paul is saying here, um, just remember, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. So if you're gonna listen to anything, will you just listen to this? And he's about to go in and talk about his desire for, his, for the people of God in Ephesus, in the city of Ephesus, to walk in unity with one another. Last week, we looked at Jesus in John 17, and he's praying right before he goes to his death. He's praying to the Father, and we see his deepest heart cry, and his deepest heart cry is that these people, these that would believe because of the, because of the disciples' word about him, that those people would all be one, just as he and the Father are one, that he and us, I, and we and him, and him and the Father, that we would all be perfectly one. So we see Jesus's desperate heart for his people to walk in unity with one another. And then we see it with Paul. We see it coming in here with Paul, where he's saying to these people in Ephesus, and we're gonna look into it, he's just explained the beauty of the gospel, that God has come down, and through his own death, through the death of Jesus on the cross, has bought for himself, has ransomed for himself in the, in the Revelation 5 imagery, a people for God from every tribe, language, tongue, tongue, and nation. So Jesus has bought for himself and created one new beautiful people. And so then he's moving into this next section of this letter to these, these people in Ephesus, and he's saying, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, and he's gonna urge them to walk in unity. So we have to recognize Jesus and Paul, this unity thing, is beyond important. It's right at the center and the heart of the gospel. That what divides us or what would separate us is not a secondary issue for God with the gospel. It is right at the middle. He's creating one new people for himself. So 
I want to share a couple quotes from a guy named D.L. Moody. He was probably the best, the, the most famous evangelist um, in the 19th century. Um, and he had a heart and a passion for unity. Um, and he, he wrote this little book on prayer. And so he gives a, f- a couple quotes on just how important unity is and how we need to recognize it's not just important to God, but it is deeply opposed by our enemy. If our enemy can do one thing, there's a lot of scintillating things um, across the Christian landscape, news of sexual scandals, um, embezzlement, but how much damage does our enemy do by bringing in division, discord, disunity that simply stunts the power and beauty of Jesus's body displayed on the earth today? So the first quote from D.L. Moody, he says, it this way, if we do not love one another, we certainly shall not have much power with God in prayer. One of the saddest things in the present day is, is the division in God's church, where there are bickerings and divisions and where the spirit of unity is absent, there is very little blessing and praise. So he's saying here, we can pursue a lot of things, we can step into prayer, Um, We can do a lot, but if we have not learned and are not learning to love one another as Jesus has loved us, and we're gonna look at what that love looks like, then there's all the things that we wanna see God do are, are stunted, are hurt, are diminished because of our unity, our lack of unity with one another. But he goes on to put it positively, and I love this quote, and this next quote from D.L. Moody Where there is union, I do not believe any power, earthly or infernal, can stand before the work. When the church, the pulpit, and the pew get united and God's people are all of one mind, Christianity is like a red hot ball rolling over the earth, and all the hosts of death and hell cannot stand before it. I believe that men will then come flocking into the kingdom by hundreds and thousands. By this, says Christ, shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. If only we love one another and pray for one another, there will be success. God will not disappoint us. I just wanna say, do we believe that? God will not disappoint us. If this is our aim, is this, if this is our focus, as Jesus's community here, locally, here and now, expressing the global and eternal, beautiful family of God, that if we learn to love one another as Jesus has loved us, God will not disappoint us and nothing and no power could stand against us. So we're gonna go back to that Ephesians 4 and we're just gonna notice, we're gonna look at where does this unity, where does this love actually come from? How do we step into it? And we see, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Not to go into depth, we're gonna be in the summer walking through Ephesians together. We're gonna be preaching through it. We're super excited about it. The team is gonna be preaching through Ephesians. So we're gonna go way more in depth. We're gonna be, you're getting more Ephesians than you want. And so I'm excited about that. 
But the background is Ephesus was this big city, it was a multi, multicultural city, um, was a big hub, and so there's varied religions, and um, he's writing to Gentile groups who have all stepped into fellowship with each other through Jesus. They're disciples of Jesus, so there's this new community in Ephesus of Christians. And so he's telling them in the previous chapters to chapter four, he's just detailing in, in a beautiful way um, what God has done to bring these pe- this one new people together. Um, and so he writes in uh, Ephesians 2, 17 through 19, we'll look at that. And he came, and this is Jesus, and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And he goes on to tell them what they have now in Christ, that they once were not a part of God's people. They were separated from God because they were Gentiles. And everyone knew that the, the, the God of the Jews was for the, God of the, was for the Jews and they weren't welcomed in. But Jesus came and he destroyed that wall and it was always God's plan. We see in Ephesians 3, it says, this is the plan hidden from the foundation of the world that the Jews and the Gentiles would both have inheritance in Christ, that they would both become the family of God, that God would break down every wall and that every human being would be welcomed and loved by God. And so that's what centered them. He was saying, Paul went on to pray for them. He went on to pray and said, I pray that you know the love of Christ that goes beyond knowledge. I pray that you know the width, the breadth, the height. I I pray that you become amazed that you are loved by God Almighty that you are loved, you are welcomed, you're part of the family. And he goes on to say, in Christ, you have boldness, confidence, and access to God through our faith in him. He's, he's saying, you, you once did not have this, but you need to know who you are now. Walk, and when he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you were called, we need to know how they were called. They were called into the be the beloved of God. You now have boldness, and confidence and access to God through Jesus. This is what he's telling them now. And I believe a huge part of our unity is to know that we really are loved by God, to actually have confidence before him, to actually know that we are loved because that's where the life with God peace comes in. It has to come in. I have um, three kids, 11-year-old boy, seven-year-old boy, um, and a four-year-old girl. Um, They're all amazing and I love them. However, my four-year-old girl is incredible. And the thing is, she knows that. Um, She knows she's incredible, and I think it's because I tell her all the time. Um, We just get along really well. She's um, a blast, we have similar personalities, and we love to sing, we love to dance. Um, So one night I was playing the guitar for her, and we like to, I like to play the guitar and make up songs, and I'm playing a song, make up a song, and I just say, you know, I know this girl named Ellie, and she's so special, and I just see her, you know, out of the corner of my eye, and her bed go, yeah, I am so special. And I was like, she believes it. And the next day I was telling Kara that story in our kitchen and Ellie came running in and and Kara, my wife, um, said, Ellie, you think you're special? She goes, yes, I'm special. I quote, I'm special to the most important dad in the world. And I melted into the kitchen floor. She was special to the most important dad in the world. She's a four-year-old girl and she has total confidence in the love of her father. I'm told that might change at some point, but right now, at this point in time, she is so confident that she is loved and valued and treasured by me. 
But unfortunately for us, that just won't, if you stop there, that, that won't do it completely. We need to know how we are loved by God. Because Ellie is pretty special. Like, you guys aren't that cute, so I won't love you like that, and you're not that special to me. But we need to know, <clears throat> and as Paul laid out, and as we laid out, how God has loved us in the gospel, that we were not loved because we were the right type of person, but that God moved towards us in love when we least deserved it. And, and Paul and the, the scriptures say this over and over again, just in Ephesians, as he's telling these people, he, he lays out how God has loved us in the gospel. He says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your doing, it's the gift of God, not a results of works so that no one will boast. There's a division we're gonna look at in, uh, in, in Corinth. Paul wrote this letter to Corinthian church and they were dividing. And he saw that there was this pride in their divisions and he reminded them in 1 Corinthians 1.26, he says this, and see if this sounds familiar, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. So how were they called? Think of what you were when you were called. He says, not many of you were wise by human standards, not many influential and not many of noble birth. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom of God, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So in the gospel, we step into the love of God by his grace and his love and his sacrifice alone. When you were still sinners, Christ died for you. While you were still enemies, Christ died for you. While you were dead, we just sang about it. While you were dead, Christ died for you. Knowing that type of love fuels and gives us the power to love those in community when we come close into community with each other. Because we're gonna, we're gonna talk about when we actually share our lives with one another, we're coming in with a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different thoughts, a lot of different ideologies. And Jesus, when he called his disciples, he called people that were, would not have been friends apart from him calling them. Matthew the tax collector, Simon the zealot, we talked about it. They would not have been friends. They would not have found themselves in, in loving community with each other except for Jesus. And so for us, recognizing the power for us to love our neighbor in the way that God calls us to is to recognize how Jesus has loved us. He says it. This is my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. Tim Keller puts it this way. I think this is helpful. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. When this starts to get a hold of our hearts and our minds, it starts to transform the way that we are able to love one another. Uh, I think this is displayed for me in a, in a really beautiful story that my friend told me. Well, he told me this story. Um, he's a teacher, um, and uh, a while back, uh, he had a class, and there's one kid in the class that was just so hard for him. Um, and so he was walking with this kid, and 
And um, he also played a sport that uh, the teacher coached, and he was um, just struggling. He was going to prayer and talking to the, talking to the Lord about um, this kid. And, um, and so really he was focusing on just, you know, I don't want to respond to this kid in a negative way. I don't want to complain about him. Um, but in prayer one morning, the, whole, the Spirit really challenged him to think differently, not just to tolerate this kid's behavior um, in a way where he's putting up with it and being patient and not lashing out, but to move, what if he moved towards this kid in love? What if he stepped into his world um, and loved him um, when the kid absolutely the least he deserved it. Um, and so one morning, the Lord just led him to write a letter. And so he wrote a letter to this kid. He's just writing out everything he sees in him, everything that um, the Lord was putting on his heart for this kid. <clears throat> kid doesn't open up. He doesn't say anything. He struggles to fight when they're playing the sports, all these things. And he um, gives this kid the letter, and uh, he doesn't hear anything back. But he noticed when they were playing the, the sport together that he noticed this kid was playing in a different way. He wasn't bowing up when things didn't go his way. He wasn't fighting. He was playing with joy and energy, and he was working, w- working with his team. Um, and he was just displaying a totally different way um, to play the game. And so um, he, he kind of filed that away. Um, but then the next day, this kid stopped the teacher in the hall, and he just and this kid does not open, I was told this kid does not open up, and he stopped the, the teacher in the hall, and he just said, I, I just want to thank you for that letter. It means the world to me. I'm going to keep it forever. No one has ever done anything like that for me in my entire life. This is a high school kid. No one has ever done anything like that for me my entire life. And so, I think that beautifully reflects the type of love that God gives to us when it's not that this kid was the right type of person to receive a letter from his teacher. It was that my friend was informed by the love of God. He had received the love of God that was undeserved love, that had met him at his lowest, that had been patient with him when he was unlovable. And he drew near then to this student He drew near to him. He entered into his life in a loving way. And that's what transformed this kid. That's what made the shift for him. And especially when we think about stepping into close community with one another, we have to recognize that wherever we go, if we want to be in close community, close Christian community, we are always going to encounter people that are hard for us to love. And I hate to admit it, but that at some point, at some time, I'm going to be that person that's hard for somebody to love. I don't like to think about that, but it's true. Um, And so that is a given because if we fight against that, if we try to find a place where that's not the case, I think we're fighting against God. I think his desire for us in unity and learning to love like Jesus loved is to have the opportunity to love each other the way Jesus has loved me. I don't know about you, but my relationship with Jesus has not always been ideal for him. It's not always been the best situation It's been up and down. He's had to be really patient with me. He's had to be gentle. He's had to be kind. He's had to move towards me when I didn't deserve it. So when we receive that type of love, and I love, we didn't plan that, but I love what Steve shared. The the church in Ephesus forgot that first love. They forgot what that was like. They forgot the type of love that God gives. It's undeserved and and it's better than we can believe. And that that's what fuels our desire to move towards each other 
and to love each other in that way. And that is what produces real unity. Because if we look at those that are difficult for us and we think our job in maintaining unity is just to put up with them or to tolerate, that's not what transforms. It's moving towards each other in love. That's what changes things, that's what changes things for the student and that's what changes things for us when we come into close community with each other. So we have to recognize um, we have um, a clear command, but we have a clear indication that this type of love only comes from the power of God with us, that we are in a community where God is present. That's who we are. So it only comes from God, but it is very clear throughout the New Testament that we are commanded to pursue it and eagerly desire it. And we have in Ephesians, with all humility, gentleness, and patience, bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So we have to recognize that we're commanded to pursue it and it won't just happen. Even though it, it comes from God and it comes from our life with God, it won't just happen. But notice that it isn't our strategies or programs or structures that maintains this unity. What maintains it is humility, gentleness, patience, and ultimately love. We try to come at it from a bunch of different angles when God calls us and tells us that he wants unity, fellowship, intimacy with each other. And he keeps calling us back to loving like he loves. He keeps calling us to things as simple as humility, gentleness, patience, and love. So one of the things, I just wanna talk about two things that to be aware of, what are those places that are gonna need our humility, our gentleness and patience and love? What are those places that are most likely for us to find division within, within our community? To be aware of them and to know that we are called to eagerly pursue unity. So let's be aware of it. Let's not be ignorant of Satan's schemes and let's pursue this unity for the love of God, for his sake. Because when we look at Jesus and we say, Jesus, we love you, he looks at us and he says, I know you love me. Obey my commandment. Love one another as I have called you, as I have loved you. And so what are those areas of division? I think the first one is just dividing lines. Um, Christians are just so good at finding anything um, to divide over, and it, it really can be anything. And so that's why I'm recognizing within our church or globally as a whole, there's so many different things that we can, um, that we can divide over. In the 1 Corinthians, the church, um, Paul wrote in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, um, he says, I, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment, for it has been re reported to me by Chloe, Chloe's people, that there is quarreling among you. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. So this community in, in Corinth, they had been blessed by the teaching of these men, as Peter and Apollos and Paul, but then they had taken that to then set up camps of different Christians within their community that I'm, the, I'm for this guy, you know, I'm for this guy, and I'm for this guy. And so Paul comes in and he, and he comes against that so clearly and so wrongly um, and so powerfully. In, in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, for who makes you different than anyone else? What do you have that you didn't receive? 
And if you did receive it, why do you boast as you did not? So it's just, it's so clear that there's so many things that we can divide over as a community. Um, and the Bible throughout the New Testament is so clear that this is not a secondary issue, but right at the heart of what Jesus is calling us into. And so um, we mentioned it briefly last time, but in our culture right now, one of the things that polarizes our world and our country um, so severely is politics. And what we recognize is these things that can divide us don't necessarily have to be sinful things. Politics is not a bad thing. And in fact, we get to be grateful and thankful that we live in a country where we have a say-so, where we can have conversations about politics. But when that comes in, and in the community of Jesus reflects the way of the world where we are separating based on those ideals and we're not recognizing that our allegiance is totally and completely to Jesus. And those conversations are done in love and they're done in submission to the Lord. So just as we recognize, as we think through these things, whatever they might be, recognize that God is calling us to pursue unity with one another and that anything that would come in and divide us It'll take humility, patience, love, and meekness to, to combat. The other thing that we um, see can just really come against and bring division is something that not necessarily would be, um, would be expected, um, but for me, it's, it's been so clear that this is something that comes in so easily, is that we create uh, an idol out of our own community, that we become so self-focused, and even obsessed over our own community, that we start to bringing in our own preferences, our own desires, our own thoughts, um, and we start to tear down what God has called us to step into in love. Um, there's a pastor um, in, uh, in Germany, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was executed by the Nazis as he opposed the Nazis, and he has um, amazing um, thoughts, and he had such a heart for Christian community um, and he has a quote that's deeply convicting to me. So if it's convicting to you, it, it, it hits me um, to the core. And so I just want to read that for us. He says that those who love their dream of Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. The more thankfully we daily receive what is given to us, the more surely and steadily will fellowship increase and grow from day to day as God pleases. Christian brotherhood is not an ideal that we must realize. It's rather a reality created by God in which we may participate. And I would add, not just participate, but eagerly maintain the unity of. And we don't do this by bringing in our ideals and our plans, but we do this through self-sacrificial love for one another. And when we obsess over our own community, um, it doesn't produce the fruit of unity. I think we all know and have examples of parents who have made their kids their idols. And their kids are good things, but they have obsessed over their kids and made their kids an idol. Um, and one I think of is recent documentary of Tiger Woods, the best golfer um, in history. And if you don't know, his dad, um, his son was his idol. And his son was the project, hey, I wanna make my son the best golfer in the history of the world, and he accomplished that. But he did not produce, and no judgment to Tiger, he did not produce a healthy human being. He didn't produce a good person because this, his dad had created him an idol. And I think it's the same for us when we obsess over our community. 
we don't produce a healthy community. But what Jesus is calling us to do is take our eyes off ourselves and put our eyes on him, the lamb who was slain, to put our eyes on his love and to put our eyes on the mission that he is calling us into, namely to be his witnesses on the earth as a body of believers, to be his witnesses, to reflect the love of God into the world and to reflect a community that's defined by his love and to bring others into that community, knowing that there's nothing standing in the way, there's no barriers, and then teaching each other in discipleship to learn to live as Jesus lived. And so it's really easy um, for this to get in the way. It's easy for us to have an ideal of how we think community should look and to focus on that. It's easy for us to major in the minors. It's easy for us to major in the things that aren't necessarily bad decisions and forget that Jesus wants us to major in loving each other as he has loved us, walking in humility, patience, gentleness, and love. And a lot of this can be um, fueled by fear. And I think it can be fueled by fear because we think it's up to us to build his church. And it's not up to us. It's not us, up to us to build his church. And Bonhoeffer continues, it's not we who build, Christ build the, the church. Whoever's mindful to build the church is surely well on its way to destroying it. For he will build a temple to idols without wishing or knowing it. We must confess Christ builds. We must proclaim Christ builds. We must pray to him and he will build. That's a hard thing to let go and understand that Jesus in our community is calling us to something. And we stand before him and him only to receive what is my part to play. And it will always include the way that he went before us, which was self-giving love, which invites us to, into the very community, which welcomes us, which is the only reason we're here. And so we give that same love away. Wrapped up in these, um, with, but within both of these, um, what can bring that division is just offenses. I, I can be, in a, I'm called into close community, I can just be offended by one another, by my brother and my sister. Whether that's, I don't like the way that they're thinking about this. I don't like the, the ways that they think about doing church. I don't like the way they have, view this secondary theological issue. I don't like that they hold this ideology. And I can be offended by that. But more than that, even moving forward, I can be hurt. I can, I can be personally hurt by those that I'm walking in closest community to. So I just wanna look at two things of how we can step into, practically step into action together as a community into loving one another. Um, and the first one is intercessory prayer. Jesus in Luke 6, 28 writes, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. Normally, I think we think about this verse outside the context of our community or outside the context of people walking in the kingdom of God together. Um, but if you've lived long enough, you probably know that it's those who are closest to you that hurt you the most. It's those that what we walk closest to that was the most opportunity for us to hurt. So if Jesus calls us into close community with each other, we can be sure that we will encounter that. So we need to look at what does he call us to do? And it's very clear. I think this is the first thing I'm mentioning. I think it's by far the most important thing that we can step into practically as a church that will bear the most fruit for us in our life together, life with each other, 
um, is intercessory prayer for one another. I'm gonna bring in Bonhoeffer one more time. It's a little bit longer, but it is worth the wait, and I won't have to say much after I read him. Bonhoeffer says, a Christian community either lives by the intercessory prayers of its members for one another, or the community will be destroyed. I can no longer condemn or hate other Christians for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble they cause me. In intercessory prayer, the face that may have been strange and intolerable to me is transformed into the face of one for whom Christ died, the face of a pardoned sinner. And he continues, that is a blessed discovery. For the Christian who is beginning to offer intercessory prayer for others, as far as we are concerned, there is no dislike, no personal tension, no disunity or strife that cannot be overcome by intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is the purifying bath into which the individual and the community must enter every day. And this is no small thing because we need to recognize that we've walked in community with other believers that who, for some of us, have wounded us deeply. And it will take nothing less than the power of God to start to heal those wounds, to start to create the pathway for unity. And there are some scenarios within Christian community where that doesn't happen in the way that we would talk about here because there's been abuse. There's been things where it is not right for us to be in close community together, and those are extreme circumstances. But for those of us walking day by day, encountering those things, intercessory prayer, to enter into prayer, especially when there's tension, especially when there's things that are grating against us, is such a powerful thing for us to actually listen to the Lord on. I, I remember this, um, a story many years back, um, there I was just dealing with this hurt and anger and frustration with a brother I was walking in community with. He was a believer, we were going to church together, and I was just, I was just dealing with deep frustration and hurt and pain. And um, I remember one day, and it wasn't fair, and I was misunderstood, all the, all the normal things, um, and I remember one day in my car entering into prayer and praying for him, and the Lord brought it in with such force and clarity from my head into my heart that God loved him in the same way that he loved me, that he was for him, that he was a child, that he was beloved, that he was working to bless this man. And I don't know what to tell you, but it shifted, it totally shifted my heart and my attitude towards him to know and recognize or for God to communicate to me the type of love that he had for this man, for this person, changed the way that I thought about him. And it shifted things of where I was going in my mind. And then it shifted things of my actions because sometimes as we enter into prayer for one another, it doesn't just stay there. Um, we have to move into more action. And that's the second one, um, second point. And the last one is just that we, would be relentless in pursuing healing hurts. Ephesians 4, that same cha chapter, Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. If you've been a Christian long enough, you've heard that in a marriage conference and it applies to marriage, it works for marriage, but the context Paul is writing this in is our community is in our time with one another and our sharing of our lives with one another. And he's not saying you won't be angry. He's not saying stuff won't happen that will make you angry. He's saying, simply saying, we don't let that anger fester. 
we don't let it grow. We don't let it continue. Because if we do, we do give opportunity for the devil. We give a foothold for the devil to come in and bring the division. So I've talked about our um, yard upkeep. Karen and I's yard upkeep is, is not super great. Um, we do our best. We mainly kill everything that we want to stay alive and everything that we don't want to stay alive thrives. Um, very unlike the Hanfelt's house. I remember one time me and Blake Macon walked up to Mason's house and I just, we stood in the awe and the glory of this yard that had been edged with such perfection that I couldn't, we, we went, we got up closer. Like, did he take scissors at the end just to, just to finish off this? Um, we're so far from that, but we're still loved. That's what this, this is about. Um, and I remember walking in our backyard um, one day a couple years ago, and in the corner of our yard, right in between me, uh, our neighbor's house and our house, there's this little alleyway, and there's this little um, tree that started growing up. It was just like so tall. Um, and I remember seeing that. I was like, ah, that's going to be a problem. Um, I could literally have gone and taken scissors and taken this thing, or just I could actually just pulled it out of the ground. I was like, I'll do that. And I'll take care of it next weekend. Um, you know, a few weekends go by and I'm looking at, ah, I think I need hedge clippers for that thing. It'd probably take me one and a half minutes. You know what? I'll do it next weekend. That'll be the time I'll do it. So a number of weekends go by and I see, and it's like, okay, I have a handsaw. I probably have to take a handsaw. It was about this big around, but if I took a handsaw, it'd probably take me five minutes. I get this, this little sapling out of the yard. And a lot of you might know the end of this story is I'm hiring a tree service and paying professional people to come in and remove a 40-foot tree that is now hanging over my neighbor's house, endangering my neighbor's house. And I have to pay these people to take down this tree and grind this stump. And in our community, as we walk together and as we pursue close community with one another, our enemy, Satan, will sow seeds of division in between us and our neighbor, us and our brother, us and our sister. And they will begin, a lot of them begin very small, but they will be there. And his desire is that we say next weekend, is that we let the sun go down on our anger day after day after day after day until it's a 40 foot tree in between us. And we have to call Randy and Stacy in to heal this hurt. And we don't want to do that. I am their agent, so we're going to make some money off it. Um, so that um, understanding that um, this is something, one, is a scheme of the enemy that he will come in. And for us, the best thing we can do is be relentless, that when it's small, when it starts, we pray. And if we need to have a conversation with a brother or sister, we pursue that conversation. And if it grows bigger and bigger and it becomes a hard conversation, we recognize we have to eagerly pursue unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And we say, for the love of God, we have to tear it up. For the love of God, we have to tear down the things that come between us. For the love of God, we have to recognize that this is for him. And I mean that for, the, for him. Because of our love for Jesus in the way that he has loved us. And he looks at us and he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And here's my command that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, bring the 
music team and um, prayer team up. It would be great to come up. And one of the things I think God wants us to know in this is that as we pursue this and even take practical steps and even recognize that there are some conversations that I need to have, that if this really is Jesus's heart, that I actually do need to step in. And there's some ways that I'm viewing my community or viewing church in a way that isn't healthy, that we recognize that God knows this isn't easy. He knows it isn't easy, but it's worth it. And Jesus has gone before us. Jesus has gone before us. He's walked in that same way. And he's gonna provide everything we need to step into it. I'm gonna close um, with some words in Romans where Paul is writing to the same type of community, same type of community, these new Christians walking in fellowship with one another. And he's calling them into the same thing. Don't let these things divide you. What was dividing them was who eats the right food and who doesn't eat the right food or who eats the wrong food. That was dividing them. People weren't eating the right things and he was trying to get into their hearts what Jesus was calling them to. In Romans 15, two through seven, he says, let each one of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in our former days was written for our instruction that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We have to recognize this ultimately is for the glory of God. This is ultimately the kingdom of God has come now and the picture of our future is every nation, tongue, tribe, and language worshiping around a slain lamb who gave his life that we would be welcomed in. And so we do it for his glory. We pursue these for his glory. We step into intercessory prayer. We're relentless in healing hurts. We are eagerly desiring the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace because this is for him and he has loved us so well. And so as we reflect on this, there may be things that God is calling you uh, to pray for. He's maybe calling you to come up and get prayer. Um, and so I would encourage you to do that. We're gonna do something a little bit different as the worship team starts. Um, I'm gonna have y'all stand because we're gonna sing together. Um, I'm gonna have y'all stand um, and I'm gonna read that Romans 15 scripture over us before we sing, um, before we sing that God is worthy of it all. He's worthy of our community. He's worthy of our unity no matter what it takes. Even if it's hard, he recognizes he will be with us. He will give us all that we need. And it's not up to us to build his church. He's calling us to step into intimacy with him, to know him, to receive his love, and to give it away to each other. And Jesus says, by this, all men will know. By this, they will know. They will know that God sent me, 
of the unity that you have with one another. It's something that no human effort could accomplish. So Romans 15, five and six, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you um, that everything you call us to, you empower and you strengthen us. Thank you that you love us more than we could ever imagine. Help us to display that to one another and to see what you do with it. We love you in Jesus' name.